Welcome to Digital Therapeutics edition of Digital Health Today, and I'm your host, Eugene Borohovich. I thoroughly enjoy bringing you discussions with incredible industry leaders in every episode, and it would mean a lot to me if you could rate the podcast in your favorite player and hit that bell to be notified of future episodes. In this special episode of the DTX podcast, I'm joined by Brent Vaughn, CEO of Cognito, to discuss the recent news from Paratherapeutics. I sent an email to all the previous guests on the show, asking them to send me a minute or two audio recordings of what they think the impact will be to the DTX industry, and specifically to prescription digital therapeutics. Brent quickly offered to hop on a call to kick us off in this discussion. I hope you enjoy our banter with Brent, and stay tuned to numerous other thoughts, comments, and predictions from many of the leaders in the industry in the remainder of this episode. Brent Vaughn, welcome back to the DTX podcast, except this time it's not going to be about Cognito. This is our special episode regarding what's happening in the PDT specifically, prescription digital therapeutic space. So I appreciate your time jumping on. Before you do your own intro, just setting the stage for our listeners, let's rewind back. In June of 2021, Paratherapeutics announced they're going public via SPAC at a 1.6 billion valuation. It's hovering somewhere between 40 and 60 million valuation these days. On March 17th, there was an announcement published by Pair that they're looking to divest, sell, anybody take over. Again, I won't read the whole thing here, but that's the context. So before you and I dive in deeper into this, please give us a little bit about literally just a few sentences about yourself and Cognito. Excellent. It's great to be back, Eugene. It has been quite a long time. Cognito is not in the digital therapeutic space. We are a disease-modifying therapeutic device using the DME payment categorization with CMS. We are focused on neurodegenerative disease. We are currently enrolling patients in our pivotal study, www.hopestudy4ad.com. The word for, not the number, hopestudy4ad.com. Anybody who's interested, Joe, look that up because we're actively enrolling. As we all know, Alzheimer's is quite intractable and an insidious problem for all of us. But I think maybe the more relevant background of why you invited me on here today is back in the early days when we were building Cognoa and Corey and the team were building Pear and Eddie and his team were building Achille. Ed Cox was over at Dethera. The OGs. Yeah, there was a handful of us in this digital therapeutic space. And literally, we would go from conference to conference and sit on panels next to each other. And one day, I'd have Eddie on my right side and Corey on the left side. And a week later, we'd be in another city be the other way around. So <laughs> I think that not being in DTX in the PDT space now, but certainly had a little perspective on it, both good and bad. Absolutely. And I think, again, kudos to all of you guys and including Corey. There's always a lot of banter. Well, it could have been done this way and it could have been done that way. I think anytime any entrepreneur is going out there and creating everything from a new category and sub-industry, new products, it's never easy. And so, of course, hindsight is always 2020 by the people, especially sitting on the sidelines. But having said that, you know, what I wanted to get out of a little bit of the discussion is your thoughts on there is an impact, right? I think there's some ripple effect around entrepreneurs are saying, well, do we go prescription route? Do we go non-prescription route? If you go the prescription route, we all know the funding market now. So what happens to a lot of newcomers coming into the space? So lots of thoughts and questions, and I have my opinions on it. So we can start with your initial thought on the impact to the PDT specifically. Yeah, I think it will have a big impact. I think the early leaders in this space and Corey really taking the point position on it 
created not just a company, but a whole category, right? And we talk about PDTs and we talk about DTXs. And when we were starting Cognoa and when I first met Corey, none of those acronyms existed or sort of didn't mean what they mean now. And so I think that you can't go forward and you can't go forward and create things, certainly create things of value without taking on risk, right? And there's certainly a lot of risk along the way. And I think what we see in the space now is there's a difficult equation that's been set up. The Without a HICPICS code, without the ability to be able to fall, and this is at Cognito, we are a device, so we fall under DME. If you look at Applied VR, Applied VR just got a DME HICPICS recently. So having the hardware piece allows you to be able to go down because PDTs and DTXs, these are just another flavor of device. And those of us who have decided to go after a more classic device definition have a path to approval. And I think that what we've seen with CMS is they've not been moving quickly to be able to recognize the PDTs and the digital therapeutics. And I think there's a number of us say things like CMS doesn't reimburse for software and Yeah, some people argue that and say, yeah, you can use CPT codes. CPT codes are supposed to capture physician time. I think that's a very poor substitute for actually reimbursing for the software. And so I think when you have a software as a medical device and the FDA recognizes this going back years and years ago, and yet you don't have CMS showing that there's a payment category that lines up for that, you really have a difficult space, right? You have a space where the folks in the space have some tough decisions. You have to wait for a law to be passed where there is mandated coverage and say, listen, ultimately, we should be buying improvements in patient outcomes. That's what we should be paying for. And whether it comes through software, hardware, or a biologic or a small molecule, it shouldn't matter. That kind of makes sense. But since that isn't the case right now, you're waiting for a CMS decision. And I know that Digital Therapeutic Alliance, others are working hard towards this, and I think that they're making good progress. But while you're waiting for that, you're either looking at state-by-state Medicaid coverage and small private plans. And so you're scratching around playing small ball a little bit if you're a bit of a baseball fan, which is tough. Or you're looking at going the employer route, which is a crowded space, but certainly there may be people with success there. Or option three, you're over on the consumer side. And on the consumer side, you find yourself competing with folks that haven't had to undergo the cost and the rigor of going down an FDA regulatory path which is sometimes not in the best interest of patients. And so I think it's a tough space right now because the main path that you would look for through CMS is not available. Many of those things were interesting, but I want to dive into one of those. It's a DME, because on this podcast, we've talked about to many guests that DTX kind of falls, well, it's a software as a medical device on one side, and yet it gets treated as a molecule and from a sales channel perspective, et cetera. So do you see now entrepreneurs and maybe even lobbying efforts to continue moving a lot of the PDT towards DME, even if it's purely as a software, as a medical device, and many of these companies trying to go after that, even though it's a much longer game as well? That's an interesting tactic, right? I think that if you have a software that you thought could really change health outcomes right now in a therapeutic market, and I think the other piece here you have to keep in mind is you need to make sure you're solving a really compelling unmet need. And I think this is one of the things that if you look at the technology and the unmet need, there's one of the things that Achille always did really well, right? There's You can fill a room full of parents and you can hard press to find one who wants to put their child on more stimulants or leave ADHD untreated, right? I think that it always starts there. What is the unmet need? But I think if you were developing right now and you had the ability to do a BYOD versus a dedicated device, 
devices are cheap, right? Why wouldn't you put together a dedicated device? Yes, you have to take on that added cost of now supporting the device, and you don't get to leverage the Apple Watch and let Apple take care of distribution support, but you have a path towards payment. And I think that's a pretty good trade. Now, let's put your old Morningside Ventures hat because a little bit of the fear that I've heard from entrepreneurs already is with Pear's announcement, what happens to that pipeline of amazing entrepreneurs that are building amazing things and decided to go prescription route? Is the appetite of an investor going to be there? That's, I think, is a little bit of the fear. Yeah, certainly not speaking for Morningside here. No, I understand that. But Morningside has built a portfolio in the space. I think that you need to have an answer for how are you going to commercialize this and how are you going to get paid at scale? And it's all about scale. You can get 100, you can get 1,000, you can get 5,000 people to do anything. But getting hundreds of thousands and millions is hard. And so I think that you do need to have a good answer for that. And if your answer is you're going to leverage employer and you're going to leverage state Medicaid payers and you're going to some of these small plans, then you've got to show, I would think, that you're building an organization that has a burn that matches that. And if you build a burn that says, we're going to drive this into the bags of a thousand sales reps or virtual reps, and we're going to change prescriber behavior, which is not a trivial ask, then matching that burn with a, now you don't have a way to scale that revenue, I think that's a problem. And it doesn't matter if you're a healthcare business or you're making some other kind of widget, if you have a burn that's long-term unsustainable with revenue. So I think that's the problem. You need to show how you're going to get to covered payment, how you can scale those other revenue channels differently than everyone else, or you're going to have to think about taking a more patient build to your organization. I think a lot of the folks ultimately feel that these things are going to get paid for and that ultimately CMS is going to come around. But when I was a kid, there was a guy who lived across the street and he had this crazy uncle and his crazy uncle was a professional gambler and lived in Vegas. And all he did was gamble. And we lost money to him as kids, betting him on things. And the thing he impressed upon me as a young kid is never bet on somebody else's hustle. And if you're a VC right now, you don't want to be betting on CMS's hustle because I'm not sure that they use the word hustle over there. Yeah, that's a good point. And I'm sure there'll be many entrepreneurs quoting you on this one going forward. So maybe one more, since this is kind of a mini quick episode. I guess it's almost like two questions in one, but A, what would you love to see happen aside from Corey just succeeding prior to this announcement? And B, what are your predictions or thoughts who may swoop in here, whether whole or parts? I would like to see if Pear is not able to ultimately go it alone, and they've seemed to signal that that's not going to be the path forward. I'd like to see them ultimately become part of something that understands and has already controls the payment side of the equation. I think that they could certainly argue that products like Pears in the right organization, they could lower the cost of their covered lives. And so you can almost think of it as a self-insured approach. This is the whole premise to employers. So I would like to see somebody who can take this at scale and actually prove the point that making better health outcomes cost-effectively is a good investment, regardless of whether CMS is the one telling people how much it costs. I think that would be a tide that would lift all boats in the space. I don't even want to opine about who I think might step up to drive this going forward because it's just hard to guess. And in all likelihood, I would just be proven wrong publicly in a fairly short period of time. <laughs> Fair enough. Listen, Brent, I appreciate you hopping on in such short notice and always a pleasure to speak with you. Always fun, Eugene. Thank you so much. 
We're going to take a quick break and be right back with a special episode of the DTX podcast. First up is Chris Bergstrom, president at Amalgam Rex. We want to give a special shout out to him and the team as the partner in this podcast, without whom we would not be able to deliver you this amazing content. Go ahead, Chris. Pairs Collapse was just really another great milestone of learning. I say that because understanding the chronology of DTX is really important, as is asking what lessons can we learn from this. It truly takes 20 years for new technologies and models to come about. Now, fortunately, we're 10 years into the digital therapy evolution. I say that because on October 1st, 2014, the first ever DTX formulary contract was signed with a major PBM. And a few weeks later, the first digital therapy was adjudicated through a pharmacy benefit at Rite Aid. Yet here we are nine years later, and the DTX company with the largest war chest in history was not able to secure enough formulary contracts to build a business before their cash ran out. We're just halfway through the cycle. So the question is, what can we learn at this moment in the cycle? I would say first, let's not let the foundations that Pear laid go to waste. For example, Pear did a great job opening up a public policy discussion, and policy will be critical for the long-term success of digital therapies. And then I think secondly, as entrepreneurs, each day we walk a fine line to know when to stay persistent and when to listen to the market. If a biotech model is just not working, then try a value-added model or focus just on Germany or bundle it inside a larger service or go DTC or make it a data play, anything but the status quo. The lesson really is just listen to the market. Timing is everything, and the market will tell us when it's truly ready. The future of digital therapy is bright. This was just an expensive milestone of learning. David Klein, Click Therapeutics. Can't wait to hear this one. We followed the pair story as well, I think, as everyone for some time. And perhaps the news comes as no surprise, really. However, their public journey does offer interesting insights. And really that data is everything when we're dealing with clinical endpoints. The category really must adhere to the same standards as any therapeutic seeking to address patient needs. The analysts and kind of investors in the space, I think, remain very upbeat on the category overall. In every case, they see great potential to address people's unmet health needs and health needs in general, and that there's going to be a shift, a pretty broad shift with much more emphasis on patient self-care and in doing so, finding new ways to keep expectations around quality care in line with costs. Look, this is a category that is going to be entering into standard of care and it'll be really focused on and side by side with other therapeutic choices. I think that the time is really not to focus too much on if something's digital or it's a pill, but it's really more on the unmet need of patients. And we're going to see and we are seeing that prescription digital therapeutics continue to change the way that many diseases are treated and will be addressed in the near future. And that data drives decisions. More and more payers are coming aboard and the data show a steady increase in payer coverage and prescriber base. But all in all, I would say that this is a story that's really about clinical outcomes and not specific modality, whether that be digital or whether that be pills. And it really proves that people really need to pay attention to clinical outcomes and 
really shouldn't be holding digital to any less of a standard than they do for therapeutics like pharmacotherapies. To kick us off with quick thoughts, here's Andy Molnar from the Digital Therapeutics Alliance. So we've been trying to treat patients where they're at now for over 20 years. It's been really hard because of the lack of payment for that. And to hear that Pair is selling their assets, all I can hope is that their products live on because we will not stop. And digital is going to be a treatment for people. There are so many great products out there. And I think this news is just tough for everybody to absorb. So we're trying to figure out what comes next. The people at Pair, I hope they stay in digital. I hope that they keep pressing because we know that this is the future of healthcare. Samily Lickinen from Orion Pharma. Go ahead. Hey, Eugene. So the request from Pair, first of all, it's really unfortunate news, that's for sure. It's not good for anyone trying to do a digital therapeutics or pharmaceutical digital therapeutics or anything similar. But what I would say is that in order to make success in digital therapeutics, you need to have, one, a good product. Second, you need to have enough capital in being able to make it to development and the commercial activities. Then thirdly, you would need then some kind of a reimbursement system, which is longstanding enough. So I'm seeing a lot of external financial difficulties in US and in Europe around with the banking industry. So I think the pricing of the money, the pricing of the financial is difficult at the moment. I do see a lot of promising things happening in US with regards to the digital therapeutics reimbursement. But then my question goes, you have to go down to the portfolio of pair therapeutics and carefully analyze which of these products in their portfolio is good enough and earns the position to be survived in the future. That's something that I think about this at the moment. Now let's hear from Nate Baer from BCG. Hey, Eugene. While I was disheartened to hear about the news on Friday of the path forward for PEAR, it did give me pause to reflect on the industry as a whole. I think my thoughts are that I really commend Corey and the broader PEAR team for how far they've really pushed the envelope and a clear focus on reimbursement as a business model within PDTs. I know for them, that has been what their focus is. That's what they've been pushing on. And frankly, it's taking a lot of work. And I think what we've reached is a point where the amount of work that's required, the times required, is longer than they've been able to get funding to reach the goals. I think in particular, the Florida deal announced recently in Medicaid was really impressive. And I think perhaps under-discussed, at least in the forums that I've been in. So while disappointing, I think for me, I do not see a world without digital health and PDTs as being a core component of that. And this is a signal of just how hard it's going to be to change the industry. Grady Hanna from Nightwear, welcoming your thoughts here. With any treatment or category of treatments, there are going to be those that show efficacy and those that have less clear efficacy data when reviewing paratherapeutics or other companies that may have blazed a trail, may have raised a lot of money, it still comes down to doctors and their prescribing behavior. So signing up, insurer, having the capacity for prescription is very different than having a doctor convinced that a treatment will make somebody's life better. 
And so when looking at a given company and its offerings, it's important to judge each on its own merit. And early in the prescription digital therapeutics lifecycle, everybody was convinced, in my opinion, of one way to do things, which was digital only, focusing on pharma, and with some preconceptions that, for instance, durable medical equipment was not a desirable pathway. And it could be argued that the companies with a hardware component that are more closely related to durable medical equipment, which is already understood from a reimbursement perspective, are finding traction, and that digital only is more difficult. In addition, licensing deals were also signs of health for companies, which again, those signals were secondary to convincing doctors on a case-by-case basis, on a practice-by-practice basis, that a given treatment was going to make somebody's condition better. So as prescription digital therapeutics move forward, growing at sustainable rates, raising money at sustainable rates, and showing traction and the corresponding revenue with physicians is essential. Francesca Wutka from NEN. Hi, Eugene. Happy to share some of my thoughts on PEAR. PEAR rode the crest of the wave during the frenzy of IPOs and SPACs, which were just not sustainable post-COVID. It's such a shame to see the pioneers and trailblazers bearing the brunt of the economic downturn, despite all the good work they've done and all the regulatory progress they've made. In the last year, among the general economic malaise that 2022 ushered in, DTX seems to have taken the greatest hit and has become the object of budgetary scrutiny across pharmaceutical companies. And in many ways, that scrutiny is justified. A great number of digital therapeutic initiatives backed by pharma have yet to provide a return on investment or to demonstrate significant adoption. Given the success rate so far, I think it's fair to ask if pharma is the right home for DTX. There's always a lot of work required whenever you create a new medical category, and whether that's biologics many years ago, gene therapy, CAR-T, or in this case, digital therapeutics, there are inevitably some bursts and flameouts. This happened in the early days of biologics and also with gene therapy before they became established therapies. We need to reconsider what go-to-market models and commercialization strategies will work going forward. I think the industry really needs to see a big DTX win, perhaps with a novel selling approach or with partners who view well-designed digital therapeutics as potential treatments on par with drugs for us to really gain confidence in the space and push forward. It's just a shame that the ones who have forged the way for the rest of us will take the biggest hit. Glad to hear from Andrei Yonchik from Prosoma. These days, the whole market is in a tough spot due to the recession. This causes existing problems to be more visible and affect companies more. In the US, we have already treated the PDT route only as an upside potential and a possible moonshot in the long run. That's why we are actively working with payers and pharma companies to establish a creative business model that can allow market access in parallel to the PDT route. This action should support the future PDT routes with validation and data. We had seen a considerable change in the German market when new regulations came in. From the market with single contracts with individual health plans, it moved to systemic reimbursement, which consequently caused a shift in how payers approach digital therapies. We would like to see something like this happening in the US. We also need to see products better aligned with patients' needs and preferences. We must remember that DTX applications compete for user attention with all applications installed on their smartphones. The question is, 
what does the product that delivers maximum engagement and adherence look like? Our answer is to focus on immersive content, engagement mechanism, and adding in-person coach support, whatever works. All in all, we believe in the PDT route. Yet in the US, we need to see more recognition by regulators and payers, both public and private, and new generation higher quality products that will show relevant patient adoption. Some interesting insights coming up from Steve Driver from Advocate Health. The news about payers' financial troubles coincided with the exact same week that we had reviewed them as part of our Digital Therapeutics Council. I found the financial picture to be in stark contrast to what we had seen from their clinical evidence, which included some of the best clinical evidence of any prescription digital therapeutics we have reviewed, with more than 40 studies, many of which were high in quality, including several large RCTs published in well-respected journals. Their user experience testing with us was also strong, and I thought there was a plausible strategic fit with tools treating common, expensive, and important clinical problems like opioid use disorder and insomnia that many of our patients struggle with. Long-term, this highlights for me the challenge of spending to create treatments like these in the absence of broad third-party payer coverage and the real need to pass the Access to Prescription Digital Therapeutics Act in this session of Congress. In the meantime, I hope payer can find their strategic alternative so that patients can continue to benefit from these solutions. I want to thank all the leaders that shared their thoughts on very short notice. While it is never easy to go through what Corey and team are going through now, there's no doubt that Pair Therapeutics was, and still is, one of the key companies trailblazing the DTX landscape. We wish the whole team a soft landing. Thanks for tuning into the Digital Therapeutics edition of Digital Health Today, a production of mission-based media. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast player so you're automatically notified each time I speak with one of these amazing leaders and trailblazers who are forging the path for digital therapeutics. If you'd like to learn more about your coach health or health excel, you can find the links to this and more in the show notes for this episode. I'm Eugene Borohovich, and catch you next time.